Today's Advent word is love. I'm super excited about Advent. I love the Advent season. Um, We get to lean into the promises of God. We get to lean into this beautiful picture of baby Jesus coming into the manger and blessing us with his presence. And it's just an incredible picture of love. An incredible picture of God who created us, wanting to love us, care for us, and adopt us back into his family, like you heard Kevin and Alyssa talk about. That we get to be chosen. That someone says, no, I get to choose that I want to love you, and I do. And so that's what we get to lean into today. We're going to be in Isaiah 53 today, if you want to go ahead and start flipping there. I love the slant we've been taking in Advent of the prophecy of Jesus. It being prophesied that God was going to come. He was going to save his people. Um, and so I was racking my brain on different things and passages and prophecy that like speak love. And there's a surprising few. When you look at the prophecies of Isaiah or any of the other minor prophets, there's very few that just scream love, in my opinion. Um, And this one I think is undeniably about love, but it's going to look a little different than what you might expect for an Advent love sermon, I will say. And when I was reading it, there's a part of me that just cried. I just sat and I wept for a minute because this passage is so dense and it's so rich and it's so beautiful. And so I just had to take it in. Part of me didn't even want to write a sermon. I was like, I'm just going to get up there and read it. What do I have to add to this? Nothing. So we're going to be in Isaiah 53, as I said. If you're there, say, got it. If you guys don't mind standing as I read the holy, infallible work of God's literature. That's something we did at my old church. I don't know if that's like too Southern Baptist for you guys. I'm sorry. Um, But I always loved it, showing this respect and honor for the word of God. So Isaiah 53 Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 
he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Merry Christmas, guys, right? It's not such a holly jolly Christmas, it feels like. The man of sorrows pierced for our transgressions. You guys can have a seat. Now, while it's not the, the joyful, happy Advent passage that we've come to know and love over the years, it is probably the rawest form of love that I could find of God and his people. The rawest form of love that God has ever shown in this Advent season, sending his son. And that's what I love about this passage. You see, we get to Advent, and I feel like we... Uh, praise like baby Jesus. I don't know if you guys, have, I don't know if I should say this. Have you guys ever seen Talladega Nights? <laughs> he only prays to baby Jesus. If you've never seen it, don't go watch it. It's, it's not good. Okay, the Lord didn't strike me down yet. Um, but he only prays to baby Jesus. And I think sometimes we, we have, it's a funny thing because they say like, why do you only pray to baby Jesus? Like, that's how I like to picture him. And I think we make jokes about it, but in actuality, we do that a lot, especially at Christmas. We think about little baby Jesus and how cute he is and how amazing this beautiful little baby is. Now, I just had a baby. Don't get me wrong, I love him. But babies literally just poop on you and keep you from sleeping. That's all they do. So the fact that we're celebrating this little baby who has done nothing, he was born out of a miracle, yes, but he hasn't done anything. So why do we celebrate baby Jesus? Who can tell me? I'm going to need it louder if you're talking. Why do we celebrate baby Jesus? Because of who he is and what he does. We, we keep Jesus in this Christmas season for Advent of like, yeah, the beautiful form of love is this baby coming. No, the beautiful form of love is what he does next. This is the beginning of the story of love. This is the beginning of what Jesus is doing, and that's why we celebrate this time. That's why we're so excited when this baby is born. He was sent here for this, this prophecy in Isaiah. He was sent here specifically to be the man of sorrows, to be this person bearing our transgressions, pierced for our iniquity. This is why he was born. And my hope is, by the end of this sermon, we can read this again, and there's almost a new light that we can bring to it. A new heaviness and deepness to what it makes us feel. Because right now it feels a little, like, violent. I want it to bring peace. I want it to bring love. Those are the feelings that I want this passage to instill. Because this is a wild depiction of God. One that begs the question, why? 
Like, why is he despised? Some of those questions can be answered by the rest of this prophecy. Here's a disclaimer. I try to do it every time I preach. Disclaimer. In Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, I think I have it on the screens. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, Paul writes this to the Hebrews. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So every, every single sermon you've ever heard is milk. Okay, we as pastors specifically, we tend to think like, oh, I'm gonna get into the theological heaviness of this. Okay, I'm gonna break into this realm of like, oh, I don't know if there's a strict yes or no answer to that. And we think that's meat. Sermons are actually all milk. Because what we're doing is we're taking this meat, we're digesting it, and we're giving you a couple of nutrients from it that we got out of it. It's just like breastfeeding, okay? We're digesting this meat and giving you the nutrients that you need. Very important, very great, very purposeful. But if you don't take the rest of this passage at home after I'm done talking to you and read through it, then you're doing yourself a disservice. That's the meat. The meat is that you get to chew it up and digest it and get the nutrients that you need out of it, not the nutrients that I give. Because I promise you, this isn't even out of pride. This is out of humility. Please double check everything I have to say. I'm not holy. I pray through what I'm gonna talk about and I pray constantly that God speaks through me and that I don't get in the way. But I hope you double check everything I'm going to say. That's my disclaimer, okay? So there's a rest of the prophecy here in Isaiah that I didn't wanna read to you because it's really long. I'll just be honest, you'd fall asleep. So go home and read it. It answers a lot of those questions that we just posed. Um, And it won't answer all the questions but it'll answer some. And I'm hoping that I can answer some today. But unless you pray for the wisdom of the Lord, you won't fully understand why this is his plan. You won't understand why, of all the things he decided to do, it was send his son to die on a cross so that we may get to know him. So let's dive back into the passage. Who has believed that he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. We have this picture of the perfect baby Jesus. We're excited. We're celebrating this perfect depiction of Emmanuel, God with us. He's been here But what this says is that he's actually hated. He's despised. Now we know we don't hate him because we're after the fact. We get to look back on the story and be like, I can't believe they didn't believe in Jesus. Prophecy says they wouldn't. He's hated and despised. There's no halo glowing over the manger as much as we like to picture that. Mary doesn't have a halo sitting there. There's no, there's a reason that God had to send a host of angels to people to say, hey, this is the guy. And most of them were still like, ah, is it? It's just a baby. There's nothing about him that screams majesty. There's nothing about him that makes people want to worship him, want to be with him. 
He is despised. It actually reminds me of 1 Samuel. I don't have this scripture, but 1 Samuel chapter 9. Samuel and the people of Israel at this time are clamoring for a king. They want a king. They have, they have no one leading them, and God says, I am your king. You don't need a king. And they keep asking, and they keep asking, and they keep asking. And so eventually, God finally anoints a king. He anoints Saul. Saul is known as this large man. It says in a, a later part of the passage, he actually stood at least a whole head above every other Israelite. He's huge. It says he was handsome. It is it says that he is everything that Israel would want from a warlord king. Because that's what kings did at this time. They led into battle and they took over land. That's why Israel wanted a king. That he had everything. Everything that would make him a king to us. We would worship him. We would follow him into battle. And if you know anything about Saul, he ends up being a little bit of a disappointment. He actually has like a mental illness that comes upon him and, and the spirit of the Lord eventually leaves him and he falls to his own sword. The least honorable death there is. And that's what God is saying in this passage. God gave the people what they wanted and he fell short. And Israel doesn't even remember that history when they read this. But what God is saying here is that I'm not gonna give you the warlord to overthrow Rome that you want. The Pharisees, the religious people of the time are constantly thinking that the Savior's coming to destroy every nation except for Israel. They'll be back on top and we can have a party. That's what they want. And God is saying in this passage, I'm not gonna do it the way you want me to do it. I'm not gonna do what you think needs to be done. I'm gonna do what I know needs to be done. I'm going to come win the victory. I will still be your king, but I'm going to send someone to save you. Myself slash my son, Jesus. And that's what this is. This Advent season is the beginning of God writing his story that a lot of times we don't understand. But he does, and he knows what's best. And this is how he has decided to do it. A man who has no form or majesty. A man of sorrows. We say man of sorrows a lot, and I think a lot of times we think it's like, oh, he's so sad. He's a man of sorrows. Sorrows actually comes from the original Hebrew uh, lemma. Everybody say lemma. L-E-M-M-A, lemma. So, this isn't just like sorrowful. This isn't just sad. This means suffering and pain. Most of the times that the word lemma is used, it speaks of slavery. It speaks of being in captivity. It talks about the Israelites in Egypt. They were full of lemma, full of sorrows. They were in pain. God heard their sufferings and sorrows and delivered them. God is now delivering us from our sorrows through this man of sorrows, this man of pain, this man who is going to overcome our slavery. He's going to overcome our captivity to our sin nature. This prophecy is speaking of a man who is fully in pain. And if he's not, it's not enough to overcome our slavery. 
If he doesn't feel the pain of what it is, it's not enough to overcome. We think of Jesus, even if we get past baby Jesus and get to like Jesus at like 25 through 32, where he's like getting baptized, we think of this like really good looking guy. I try to look as much like him as I can, if you can't tell. We think of this really good looking guy walking around in the desert and people are just listening to him teach these beautiful things. But Jesus is actually a man of sorrows. Jesus is a man that was born out of deity. He was God. He is God. He exists outside of time and space. He's been here from the beginning, and all of a sudden, he's now confined to human emotions and a human body. That in and of itself is painful. He's born to a, a, a poorer family that doesn't have the best reputation because of how he was born. No one trusts that Mary had a divine conception. So the community's like, I don't know about that. Right after he's born, he can't go home. He has to go to Egypt because there's a king trying to kill him. And then when he finally gets home, he has to make friends. And so he makes friends with these 12 guys that are literally tax collectors and fishermen. They are thieves. He makes friends with all of these 12 guys. And then he decides to be homeless. And he wanders through the desert with no home, no family, with these random guys trying to teach and probably starving. Not to mention the actual starving he did where he went 30 days without eating or drinking and literally faced the devil head on. And then when he eventually made his friends and taught them everything he needed to know, he said, go and pray while I pray to my father and they fell asleep. Well, all but one who actually stabbed him in the back by turning him into the Roman guards which then took him and stripped his flesh from his body, paraded him through the streets, and spat on him until they hung him on a cross to suffocate to death. That's a man of sorrows, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He bore our griefs and our sorrows. With his wounds, we are healed. He did all of it for us. That is a man of sorrows. That is a man who suffered for his people because he loves his people. And then it says he went silently to the slaughter. There wasn't one, this is your fault. Look what I'm doing for you. While Peter literally stood on the steps and denied him three times, there was no, told you so. He was silent. He gave it all without saying anything. There wasn't a mean word on his tongue as he watched the people spit on him that he was trying to save. Never once did he stand up for himself. He was the only person to live a sinless life And he loved us in that. He died for us as sinners. And it immediately made me think of John 15. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip to John 15. It will be on the screens. Oh, I forgot to say this earlier. If you don't have a Bible, throw up your hand. One will appear before you magically. 
Um, And if you don't have a Bible at home, take it home with you. That's our gift to you. We don't need it. We got plenty. Take it home. So John chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 12. When you're there, say, got it. John 15, verse 12. We're going to go all the way through verse 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit that your fruit should abide so that wherever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He called us friend. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. No one chose him because there's no former majesty to him. But he chose us. He said, it's okay. I got it. I'll take this one. Even when we're not his friend, he calls us friend. If you think about it, when Jesus died, it says, no man shall lay down his life for his friend, no greater love, Jesus died for some people that at the time were not his friend. Jesus died for Paul who killed six or seven of his friends who were preaching his name. Jesus died for the Roman guard that helped to crucify him on the cross. Jesus died for Nicodemus, the Pharisee who said, no, I can't, can't quite follow you. I really like my life the way it is. Isaiah says, no one will put favor upon him, and yet he poured nothing but favor and love upon us. No one gave him the time of day, and yet he had this labor of love in being this man of sorrows, being told by his father to come to earth and die for these people, and he did it. That's why we celebrate the coming of Jesus. That's it. Because he died, because he loved us, so that we now have the opportunity to love him. It's the whole purpose. And we can't, we can't separate baby Jesus from crucified Jesus. They're one and the same. In Romans 5, um, verse 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life, this man of sorrows. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He loved us while we were still sinners. While he disagreed with the way that we live, maybe even today, he loves you in your sin in hopes that he can bring you out of it. He wants you no matter where you are today in this room. No matter how far you are from him, he will go the distance to get you, I promise. You are wanted. You are chosen. You may not choose him, but he chooses you. And to become his friend, you follow his teachings, you follow his ways. That's what scripture tells us. That's what we just read. But not, he doesn't just leave it there. He says, so that you may go and love others. So we'll take Jesus' love of dying for his literal enemies who are putting his friends to death and apply that to our lives. You know, I'm gonna die for the guy next to me that even though it's December, still blows his leaves at 5 a.m. I'm gonna die for that guy who cut me off in traffic the other day. I'm gonna die for, for Joe Biden. I'm gonna die for Donald Trump. I'm gonna die for the leader of Hamas who just carried out all of those attacks in Israel because there's just the slightest chance he comes to know the Lord and becomes the most powerful person there is. I know that gets heavy real fast. That's the weight Jesus carried. That weight that you feel when it gets a little political. And I start talking about people that you really dislike, that you think deserve to die. Jesus bore that. Jesus carried that weight his entire life. And that brings me to my first point. He became our sin, our sorrows, and though he was despised, poured out love. Though he had people plotting to kill him his entire life, he poured out love. That is the love of Jesus. But just like I don't want to get trapped with baby Jesus and crucified Jesus, I also don't want to get trapped with just Jesus. Now, the season is beautiful. It's about Jesus. But I would love to talk about the Father. For some reason, I've got the Father's love on my mind right now. Don't know what that could be. Possibly a brand new child. Um, you see, I, I think when you study the Bible, we have a tendency to separate the parts of the Trinity when in actuality they exist in whole, together, forever. And so, I want to focus on the other two parts of the Trinity in this Advent season as well. Now, one is also the whole. I'm not going to get into Trinitarian theory with you guys. I promise I don't have that kind of time. One is always the whole of the Trinity, always. But there are distinctive patterns and distinctive things that we can learn from other parts of the Trinity. And so... I want to look at the Father, and the reason I want to look at the Father is because verse 10 of Isaiah, if you go back to Isaiah, verse 10 baffles me. 
Sorry, I had it marked, now I don't. Verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. The will of the Lord to crush him. I just had a baby. And when I read that, the first thing that I wanted to do was picture myself looking into my son's eyes. And if you're a parent, I would love for you to picture looking into your child's eyes and thinking, yeah, you've got to die. And not only do you have to die, but I have to be the one to kill you because I have the power to stop it. Talk about the love of a father. I can't even fathom looking into my son's eyes and thinking that. I can't even fathom looking into my students' eyes from here. There's not a single one of you I would kill any of them for. There's maybe a few of you that I care about enough and love enough that I would die, but my son, no. Ain't no way. Because he's pure, he's innocent, he has his whole life ahead of him. And that's what God the Father did. Talking about crucified Jesus and baby Jesus, he's looking at baby Jesus and crucified Jesus and saying, this is how it has to be, son. And that's how much God the Father loves you. That he looked at his son, not only looked at his son, his son came to him in prayer in a garden, crying, weeping, sweating blood because of how in anguish he was, the man of sorrows, bearing our iniquities, and said, God, please don't make me. Dad, please don't make me. I know some of you who would cave to their kids for a cookie. And God said, I don't want to. I don't want to, but I want them worse. I want them more. This is what it takes. This is what has to happen so that I can be reconciled with my creation. God put to death himself and his son, a perfect amalgamation of creation and himself, his two greatest loves, creation and himself. He put it to death for us. because that's how much our God loves us, is that we were worth it. And I know if you're anything like me, there are days that you sure don't feel worth it. But you are. I promise you, you are. And God knows it. And that's why Jesus came. That's why we have love during Advent is because he loves us so much. That's how much God the Father loves you. And that's my second point. He gave up willingly his greatest love for you. He gave it up.
And the beauty of God's love for us is that it doesn't start at the crucifixion and it doesn't start at the birth of Jesus. It starts at the creation of time. From the very beginning, God created us and loved us and we have this love for him in our hearts that we want to give. And now we have the power to walk with him through the spirit because of what he did with Jesus. Now, no matter where you are, he died for you, the sinner that you are, no matter where you are, he wants you. And he died for you so that we can be reconciled with him, reconciled with his spirit, which is my third point. He makes intercession through his spirit. It's that last verse of chapter 53. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. That's us. We'll divide the spoil because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. We now have the ability to speak directly to God, directly with God, because of Jesus' coming. He did that because he wants to be with you. It's not even just that he wants you. He wants to literally live life right now with you. We talk about making this decision and that Jesus died so we can go to heaven and be with God. No, Jesus died so you can be with God right now, in this moment. He can sit with you. He can speak with you. Because he loves you and wants relationship with you. It reminds me of this quote from a guy named Chris Hodges. So Chris Hodges is the lead pastor of um, Church of the Highlands. It's like one of the biggest churches in America. And the reason it's one of the biggest churches is because he's a hardcore evangelist. He loves spreading the word of the Lord and getting people to come to church, to know more, to dig deeper with him. And one of his favorite tactics for sharing Christ with people, and I love it, he looks at them and he just says, I know you don't believe in God, but don't you miss him? And they usually say, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't believe in God. He said, I know, but don't you miss him? And he said it takes about three times of him asking, don't you miss him? For them to break down, crying, and say, what is that? Why do I miss something? And it's because from the beginning of time, God created you with this love for him. From the beginning of time, God wanted you with him. And we fill it with all these holes. We fill it with all kinds of stuff. We've got to get through the 12 different foster homes before we realize there's someone who wants us. And it's our Lord God creator who made us with love for him in our hearts and his love in our hearts. And that's where we sit in this holiday season. Is Church, I ask you, don't you miss him? Whether you're not with him right now and you're unsaved, you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, I'm sure you miss him. Whether you're just far from him in this season because it's extra hard because that one person's not here anymore. Because there's a life change that's happened. If you feel far from him, don't you miss him? If you're right next to him and having constant conversation with him every single day, the minutes that you spend away from him, don't you miss him? Because I promise you, he misses you. 
and he proves it. He proves it in Isaiah 53. He misses and loves you. We've all got this missing piece of us. And if you are a believer, think about the people who aren't. And when you miss him just for minutes away from him, imagine not knowing that that's who you miss. That that's who you love, that that's what's happening in your spirit. He misses us and loves us enough to bring us the man of sorrows. So as we transition into worship, I'm gonna read Isaiah 53 again in just a minute. But I would like to ask anyone of our prayer team if you'd come up to the front. I'll also be in the front. We don't usually do this at Grace, but it just feels fitting for a sermon like this. This isn't about a show. This isn't about numbers. This isn't about some sort of thing to check off on a list. But if you miss him, and you don't know why, come talk to somebody. We'll ask him. We can share our faith in that way, that we can intercess for you through the Spirit to God. We're going to also have communion open. And talking about the crucified Jesus, that price he paid, the man of sorrows, don't take communion lightly. Take a moment and think about his body broken, bruised. Think about his blood spilled on your behalf for your griefs. Isaiah 53, who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. No form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. It will prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoils with the strong. 
because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Take communion as you feel led. Let's just come before him and thank him for loving us.